23, and we're going to look at verses 32 through 43 for the whole passage today. The Bible says, Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, or Calvary, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So today we're going to look at the thieves. So kind of get your mindset about thieves. I thought this was an interesting story about thieves to think about what that might be like. This is from Kashifa Ajarn. He says, a South African man surprised nine men robbing his home. Eight of the robbers ran away, but the homeowner managed to shove one into his backyard pool. After realizing the robber couldn't swim, the homeowner jumped in to save him. The Cape Times reports that once out of the pool, the wet thief called to his friends to come back, and then he pulled a knife and threatened the man who had just rescued his life. The homeowner said, we were still standing near the pool, and when I saw the knife, I just threw him back in. But he was gasping for air and was drowning, so I rescued him again. I thought he had a cheek trying to stab me after I had just saved his life. <laughs> Can you imagine, right? When do you think of thieves, what comes to your mind today? Do you think of shoplifting? Do you think of bank robbers? Do you think of more violent things? Well, today we're going to look at the two thieves, and we're going to look at the Lord's grace in their life. And here's the whole point. Uh, I once again hope that you will see hope even when everyone else says there is no hope. That's the message. When everyone else says there is no hope, yes, there is. His name is Jesus. What a beautiful name, amen? <laughs> right? So let that rest in your heart today as we look through this very familiar story. Hopefully you can be encouraged. And I want you to even be thinking about, I know most of the Lord today, be thinking about how can I share the gospel this week with people who may think that they have no hope because there is hope today. First, let's look at Calvary. Verse 32 again. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull or Calvary, they crucified him there, uh, along with uh, the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Look what Jesus said in verse 34. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. When you think of Calvary, what comes to mind? I pastored a church called Calvary, and it was a very good experience for Wendy and I and our kids, so that's always got a positive thing. But Calvary actually means the place of the skull. What if we had put a flag up at our church that said the place of the skull? People would be like, What? Isn't it interesting when Jesus enters the conversation that some things that were notorious all of a sudden become beautiful, right? One of the things I think about is, why do we call Good Friday good? It's one of the most terrible things ever, and yet Jesus enters in, and when he does, he takes something that was wicked and evil and all of a sudden becomes amazing, and it changes the course of human history, because he entered in. Again, when people say that there is no hope, there is, and his name is Jesus. Calvary was the place where criminals were horribly executed by crucifixion. I don't want to get too graphically detailed today, but just again a reminder, when we were down in uh, Tennessee over spring break, 
pastor did an unbelievable job describing the crucifixion. And some of the things that really made me think again, I think you guys know most of these things, but on the cross, Jesus probably would have been nailed here and here because if he'd been in his palms, that would have ripped out, okay? But something I hadn't really thought about before, most of the time when I've seen crosses, I've seen a post where like the criminal would rest their feet. But what he pointed out was most likely there was no post for their feet, but the nail was driven between both of their feet and they literally were resting on the nail on the cross. And if you guys know how crucifixion works, it's basically death by suffocation. And so as they sag on the cross, they're unable to catch breath that they need to breathe. So in order to breathe, they would have to shove down on the nail on their feet so they could come up to catch a breath and then go back down. When we talk about crucifixion, that's the kind of event that we are looking about. Probably one of the most horrible ways ever to die. Now, here's something that kind of hit me as I went through this. You and I can imagine the pain of crucifixion, but for these two criminals, there was no imagining. They literally were facing the same physical torture that Jesus was facing. They knew it. They knew the pain that he was in. Now, they would obviously not know the spiritual pain, the abandonment of God the Father, the bearing of the sins of the world, but they knew the nails. They knew the suffocation. They even knew the mocking, and they knew the agony of the cross. Now, they were being punished, right? And we don't know, and it's kind of interesting, kind of like the same thing with today in Sunday school, right? We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was about. We don't know exactly what Paul had. And here with the criminals, we don't know their crime. If we did, we might justify or try to expose some things. But we're mindful today of this truth that at least one of the criminals knew that he deserved to be punished for whatever he did. Now, to this extent, I don't know about that, but definitely they were there because of some wrongdoing. But we know that our Lord had done nothing wrong. And yet here he was on the cross. Now, something that amazes me at this moment, Jesus asked God to forgive those who were mocking him, torturing him, and even taking his life. Think about that for a second. When someone mocks you even slightly, what do you want to do? This morning, that Vicky and Diane were just laughing up a storm because the preacher has a tan line right here. They were mocking me. And I just wondered, well, who are you, right? I was going to start to point out all their flaws, and I thought, no, I'll be better than that, right? Usually, mocking creates within us a response to retaliate, doesn't it, right? Let alone, when you think here of sheer torture, and let alone the very fact that Jesus could have actually changed the whole situation. The Scripture says he could have called 12 legions of angels and been done with all those people. So he literally had the power to say, this is over. And instead of doing that, what did he do? Lord, forgive them. They don't know exactly what they're doing. That's the Lord that we know, that we love, that we serve. If there is hope for the enemies of Christ, those who would torture him, would take his life, would mock and persecute him, then there is hope for all of if you don't realize it today, we are them. 
Do you follow that? I know some of us be like, no, preacher, that wouldn't be me. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yes, we are those in the crowd. Let's look at the mockers down in verse 35. So the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, and they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up, and they mocked him, and they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, which is an important thing here in just a second. So the rulers definitely mocked him, right? Again, in my mind, and this may be a little penology today, I think of that Sanhedrin. I think of all those people in power, those holy men in power, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And as they come by, they're finally like, yes, this guy's been influencing everyone the wrong way. He's stealing power from us. We are taking care of this problem. And now we're going to rub it in a little bit more. If you really are the chosen one, why don't you come on down, Jesus? Again, think of the power of the Lord that he would be able to stay on the cross and not eradicate them in a moment. But it wasn't just the rulers. Even the soldiers got in on it too, didn't they, right? The centurions there, the Roman guard, they mocked him as well. Save yourself. And I think this is interesting to, to me. If they had only known he was saving them. <laughs> Save yourself. And they had no clue that Jesus was actually saving them. If only they had known, but they had no idea. Can you hear me out this morning? This is important. Let me tell you today, there are lost people in your workspace, in your neighborhood, in your circles of influence. And some of them right now may be mocking Christianity or Christ or you. But for some of them, this is just ignorance. They do not know, just like the soldiers did not know who the Messiah really is. I want to tell you today that someday they will know. And our hope is that they would know sooner than later. Amen? Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four. When the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. And they exclaimed, what? Surely he was the Son of God. Think about that. Again, I don't know if this was some of the same guy that were at the cross, same guys, and here they are at the tomb. But here, this soldier confesses that he acknowledges this is the Messiah. And some of the people that you work with, some of the people that are your neighbors, some of the people that you, when you're going grocery shopping, right now they'd be maybe mocking and laughing and just full of ignorance, but so were we, right? And one day we're going to come to a realization, they will come to a realization as well, who Messiah is. And so we need to do our best to share the truth of the gospel with them. And we need to take on the attitude of Jesus that we would love and forgive those, even those who are mocking the Lord. As Jesus prayed for those who mocked him and tortured him, we too should pray for those who don't know what they are doing, just as we once did not know what we are doing. The verse that comes to my mind is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is
hear that today. Every Buddhist, every Muslim, every Baptist and Lutheran and Catholic will one day bow a knee to the Lord of all the earth. And we need to proclaim that he is the Messiah. It is that important. So one of the criminals speaks out and he says, aren't you the Messiah? Well, get us out of this mess. Save yourself and save us. Today, two criminals ask for salvation, but only one will be in paradise. J.C. Rowell puts this out, and I love this quote. He says, one thief on the cross was saved, that none should despair, but only one, that none should presume. Let me help you with that just for a second. One thief on the cross was saved that none should despair. None should despair. At the 11th hour, this man was redeemed. (laughs) There is hope for the hopeless. Amen? But none should presume. What did the other thief say? Oh, you're Messiah? Then you save yourself and save us. We're in the same pain. Take us out of this mess, Jesus. The other thief did not make paradise. And the choice this morning that is so clear The gospel must be received. It must be received. Here is the truth in the two two criminals, the two thieves on the cross. There are some who will be in paradise, and there are some who will not. And we live in a world that says, oh, everybody will be in paradise. And Jesus says, no, that none should despair and that none should presume. Well, let's look at the grace that the Lord offers. Down in verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, here's something that's interesting to me. If you look at Matthew and Mark, both of them will say that both of the criminals mocked the Lord. What? That's not what Luke said. Well, again, one of the, my professors in college gave me a pretty good analogy for things like this. He says it's kind of like a car accident. I don't know if you've ever witnessed a car accident, but depending on which angle that you're at, you may see a different perspective of what happened on the thing, right? And probably what has happened here is that there's enough time that they're on the cross that two criminals did mock him but then one of them had a change of heart in the time that he could see that Jesus really was who he was there on the cross. And so he cries out. He basically says, don't you fear God. Even in the midst of so much pain, his mind is still working. And now this criminal is realizing that he will answer to his maker. He gets a sense of, he knows this isn't right. The criminal has done evil, and Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then we see what I think is the whole transformation. There is a heart of humility in this thief. And he will do what we've talked about all morning in Sunday school class. He will ask for help. Right? Isn't that really what this is about? I don't need God. I can do what I want. I'm strong. I'm healthy. I don't need anything. I don't need that crutch of a church. I don't need that religion. I don't need those right fundamentalists. (laughs) I don't need, I can do this all on my own. 
But the criminal gets to a place where his pride is eradicated and he asks for help. And that is the heart of coming to Christ. Today, salvation is so simple. We need to humble ourselves before our maker. We need to acknowledge our sin and fear the Lord. And then we need to reach out to the son of God for his help. And if we do that, just like the thief, he will help us. Hear me again this morning. It does not matter what you have done before or can even do now. God can rescue you. Isn't that good? That's the message that people need to hear today. Think about this for a minute. There is no formulaic prayer written for us in the gospel, is there? There's no sinner's, long sinner's prayer, no long description of the criminal saying all the things that he did wrong. There's no uh, discipleship class. There's no baptism. There's no communion. There's no him putting anything in an offering plate. Are you following me? There's no list of things that he had to do in order to come to Christ. But wait, hear me out this morning. There is definitely a prayer here today, right? What did he say? Please remember me. That was the change of his heart. But wait, there is a community of believers at work in the setting. There is an offering, but not an offering of money, but offering of truth from the criminal that Jesus didn't deserve to die, but the criminal did. There is a faith that recognizes a kingdom is coming. That just overwhelms me that when the thief asks, he says, please remember me in your kingdom. He knows there's more than this. There is a baptism of the Spirit changing the heart of the criminal. And amazingly, just like in communion, there is definitely a body broken and blood shed and accepted by this thief on the cross. There's a change. I think sometimes we have a whole list of checkoffs that we think we have to do in order to be right with the Lord. But the thief on the cross proves those things are not true. Real quick, a look at another way from uh, a man by the name of David Guzik. He said, the second criminal respected God. Remember what he said to the other criminal? Do you not even fear God? He knew his own sin. He knew his own condemnation. He knew that he deserved to be there. He knew Jesus, and he called out to Jesus, and he called out to Jesus as Lord. He knew there was something different in the man in the middle, the man in between them. He believed Jesus was who he said he was, and he believed in the promise of a kingdom to come. So here's what I want you to take with you this morning. This is what we got to tell our friends and our family and people that are far from God. You cannot earn your way to heaven. Quit trying to save yourself. Are you hearing the Lord today? I feel like it's just flowing over from Sunday school into our lesson here today. Quit trying to save yourself. You need to humble yourself. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, some of my favorite truths about this idea. James says, but he gives us more what? Grace. Talking about grace, he gives us more grace. And that's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows grace and favor to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Look at this. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve 
mourn and wail and change your laugh to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then here it is, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord in the sight of the Lord. And what will happen? He will lift you up. And that's what happened to the thief. I think he started out mocking the Lord. And as he's trying to breathe there on the cross, it just begins to dawn on him that, wait a minute, this situation is all wrong. There's something special about this person in the middle. He doesn't deserve to be here. And he has a transformation. And in that arrogant, proud heart begins to melt. And he begins to realize that he needs help. And so that's what the thief does. He humbles himself before the Lord. He acknowledges that Jesus did not deserve what he was getting, but the criminal did. And he asked for help. Oh, by the way, did he receive help? Isn't that good? Not somewhere down in the halls of time. What did Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, he invades our lives today. People that we love, people that are far from the Lord, if we can speak the gospel to them and their heart crumbles in humility and they reach out to him, when does the change take place? 20 years down the road, today, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. His destiny was forever changed, and ours can be too if we receive the Lord. Jesus far surpasses expectations too, by the way. The thief on the cross had some distant time in mind, but Jesus told him today. The thief on the cross asked only to be remembered, and Jesus said, you will what? You will be with me. What a promise. The thief on the cross looked only for a kingdom, and Jesus says, I will give you paradise. You guys, there is hope for the hopeless, and we need to share that hope. Got one final illustration today. It reminds me of that, the timing of the Lord, and that even when things don't seem to be making sense, that God is at work. And this is one of these amazing stories where the missionary shows up, and God has already been there way before that they got there. This is from Doris Rosser and Ellen Baum. In her book, The God Who Hung on the Cross, journalist Ellen Vaughn retells a gripping story of how the gospel came to a small village in Cambodia. In September of 1999, Pastor Toy Sang traveled to Kampong Tom province in northern Cambodia. Throughout that isolated area, most villagers had cast their lot with Buddhism or with spiritism, and Christianity was virtually unheard of. But much to Sang's surprise, when he arrived in one small rural village, the people warmly embraced him and his message about Jesus. And when he asked the villagers about their openness to the gospel, an old woman shuffled forward and bowed and grasped Sang's hands as she said, we have been waiting for you for 20 years. And then she told him the story of the mysterious God who had hung on the cross. In the 1970s, the Kerner Rouge, the brutal communist regime, took over Cambodia, destroying everything in its path. When the soldiers finally descended on this rural northern village in 1979, they immediately rounded up the villagers and forced, to, forced them to start digging their own graves. After the villagers had finished digging, they prepared themselves to die. Some screamed to Buddha and others screamed to demon spirits or to their ancestors. One of the women started to cry for help based on a childhood memory 
a story her mother had told her about a God who had hung on a cross. The woman prayed to that unknown God on a cross. Surely if this God had known suffering, he would have compassion on their plight. Suddenly her solitary cry became one great wail as the entire village started praying to the God who had suffered and hung on a cross. As they continued facing their own graves, the wailing slowly turned to a quiet crying, and there was an eerie silence in the jungle air. And slowly as they dared to turn around and face their captors, they discovered that the soldiers were gone. As the old woman finished telling this story, she told pastor saying that ever since uh, that humid day from 20 years ago, the villagers had been waiting waiting for someone to come and share the rest of the story about the God who had hung on a cross. (laughs) The Lord brought him in, and they came to know the Lord. You guys, do you recognize that there are people that the Lord has been working in their heart for 10, 20, 30 years, preparing them to hear the gospel and to be changed? Our job this week is to tell the story of the thief on the cross. And say that if we would humble ourselves, as simple as, please remember me (laughs) in your kingdom, that the Lord will come in and today will transform our lives for his name and for our joy. Let's stand this morning. Today, I hope that all of you have already taken the position of the thief, that you know what it is to humble yourself before the Christ on the cross. So if you don't today, today you can make that change. You can cry out to him, say, please remember me. And God will come in and transform your heart and give you a new desire and a new hope. But today, I think most of you know the Lord. And I think there's probably people in your world, people in your life that you're not sure if they do. And so today, as we pray, I really want you to ask the Lord to guide your mind and your thoughts and your actions this weekend, this coming week, that we would interact with people who may be far from God, and we can tell them the story of Jesus, that some of them also would humble themselves, and the Lord would lift them up. So let's take just a little bit of time today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And if you would, feel free to come to the altar if you like, but let's pray for one another, and especially pray for those people that need to know the Lord. And pray the Lord would give us wisdom as we try to share the gospel with